and welcome to Soberholic Podcast. This show is designed to address topics that will encourage, equip, and inspire you to explore life's most difficult topics and overcome your biggest challenges. Today, your hosts, Roger and Jason, will share from their own experience how you can find hope and healing in recovery. Welcome to Soberholic Podcast. We're back for another episode. I'm in here with Roger in the studio as usual, and it's been a pretty good day for me. How's how's your day been? Man, my days are always good. I'm above ground and breathing. There's no chalk line around me this morning. That's right. Yeah, the, you know, not in jail. Yeah, not in a rehab. Yeah, that's why. Why you know, in the in the days of old, I don't remember. You don't like my mic that way. You just don't like it, huh? It's not pointing at your mouth. You got to point it at but where it's the sound. Great. You got to point at the sound hole. The sound hole. Yeah. There you go. I'm talking to the sound hole, as you would like to call it. No, your mouth is the sound hole. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I understand now. <laughs> so, what are we talking about today? So, we're doing another episode on helping someone who's in addiction. And last episode, we talked about things to avoid when trying to help somebody in addiction. And this episode, we're going to be talking about things, ways that you can encourage somebody. So like positive ways um, to help somebody who's in addiction. Maybe it's a loved one, a friend, a coworker. Um, so we're going to give give some different tips on, on things that you can do to encourage somebody. Yeah, it seems like the natural thing to do. You know, we talk about things not to do, so let's talk about the things that you should do. Should do. Yeah. You were about to say do, that you should do. That you should do do. No, I'm not talking about do do. No. Yeah. No. Okay. So let's get right into let's it. Let's get there. All right. So um, talking about some ways to encourage someone in addiction. And again, um, I guess it's good to say that when we talk about addiction, it's easy to go just straight to drugs or alcohol. But this right. is really in any type of addiction. You know, whether it be food, sexual addiction. You know, the list goes on and on. But um, these are some of the things that that we've came up with that makes sense to encourage someone with. Yeah, and I mean, about the different types of addictions, any type of addiction can destroy you mm-hmm. and destroy your family. A lot of people want to say drugs and alcohol, well, you know, you go, you get arrested, you overdose, you die. You know, you it, it's the most obvious as far as consequences go. But, I mean, take food addiction, for instance, you can die from it. Nope. You know, porn addiction, you know, that can lead to a a sexual addiction where, you know, you get STDs and, I mean, you that can kill you. So, I mean, a lot of these. If I had a fear on my wife, she could kill me. Well, then, yeah, and your yeah. wife would kill you, like, after you, the STDs yeah, killed yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Well, right. I probably wouldn't have a chance, <laughs> but, yeah, I get you. But my point is, like, all addictions can be just as destructive. Some just take longer and some are more socially acceptable, you know. Mm-hmm. So, all right, go ahead. Okay, here we go. Uh, number one, um, so um, the number one way, not no no order. This no is order. just um, just kind of the way we some pointers uh, that you should build trust. You know, actively listen uh, when you're talking to someone. Is probably the best way of doing that. Um, when I say build trust, it's simply um, whoever you're talking to that may be struggling you may not have a rapport with them right it it may be a loved one you know maybe your son or a a spouse but it may just be simply someone you work with or you know from church or from the neighborhood and you want to begin talking with them 
rather than just going over there and telling them what they need to do, it's better to listen to their needs and their struggles and begin, you know, listening for ways that you can maybe help them. Yeah. I mean, for me, I do this with my wife Dakota all the time. Like she'll be telling me about something she's having a problem with. And my mind just immediately goes, all right, let's fix it. How are we going to fix this? And with addiction, if somebody is sharing with you that they're struggling with something and you might not have any idea, you know, what they're actually going through. So for you to, to try to fix it, you know, immediately, oh, well, you should do this and this and this and this, you know, might not be helpful if you listen to them first, you know, and then process it, try to understand where they're coming from. I think it can be a lot more beneficial than judging, than, you know, immediately jumping to judging them and then let's fix it. I think the, the natural tendency for most people is when someone's telling you something, you're trying to form an opinion or an answer to give them while they're talking without hearing the whole story. Right. And actively listening is not trying to form an opinion or a solution, just simply listening to their struggle, where they're at, what brought them to that, and then maybe talking about certain things. But Sometimes it's not even about forming an answer. It's simply just building a relationship. If I don't have a relationship with you, then I don't really care what you have to say. And that sounds harsh, but I mean, I want to know that you, I want to see you in action more than the words that you say. And by you taking the time to hear me and, and maybe I'm just venting when I'm going through it. But if you're taking the time to spend with me in the moment, then you're building trust with me. Right. And then, you know, continually checking in on them. Hey, how are you doing with this? You know, that shows that you really care, which is going to help build that trust. Um, And then, you know, actively, consistently praying for the person and even telling them, hey, you know, I've been praying for you about that. Um, You know, how's it going? Uh, I think those, those things can go a long way in establishing, you know, trust between you. Yeah, oftentimes, you know, you find someone who's struggling with an issue um, and, you know, you just, you want to, you know, there's a solution, um, especially like for me or you, you've seen the solution, but until you build a friendship, a relationship, some trust in that, it's just really hard to have that. And so even though I know that, say, someone may be struggling, it may take several conversations before I even get to sharing any kind of help because I just want to I want to get to know them. I want to yeah. know what makes them tick and what's going on with them. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the main thing is, which is one of the things that we talked about last episode, is not preaching at them, but asking them more, you know, instead of making statements at them, is asking, you know, trying to really listen to them and asking them, how can I help? How can I help you? Yeah. So, so um, like the second one, I guess, would really be geared more towards someone that you do know. Right. Um, you know, someone that a spouse, you know, your wife or husband, your kids, maybe a parent, depending on who you are. But, you know, simply it's seeking help yourself. Right. You know, I mean, you need to find help yourself Rather than trying to fix everybody else. Yeah. Usually in any kind of addiction, there is a, just a a roaring tornado that goes through everything there, every Mm -hmm. relationship that touches it, especially in drug addiction. But I think it happens everywhere. As you mentioned earlier, even in sexual addiction, Mm -hmm. going back to what we were talking about with, with an affair, 
it's if if I if I was cheating on my wife, the problem's bigger than just you know just me. Oh yeah. You know my my wife is experiencing that. My kids are yep. experiencing the destruction that comes from that. The the spouse of the person that I'm having the affair with is struggling with yeah. with all that. And so rather than telling them, you know exactly what they need to do, I've got to figure out how to make me okay in the situation. Yeah, and and. If you're somebody who's like, oh, I'm fine, you know, I don't, you know, I'm really just worried about that person, my loved one or my friend or whoever it is, for you to be of maximum help to them, you need to be firing on all cylinders. And so if if you're in, say, a relationship with somebody who is suffering from an addiction and it develops into a codependent kind of relationship, which often happens you know, you can end up making their addiction worse. But if you seek help, you can, you know, learn how to identify those things. And not only can you not feel guilty about their addiction, and but you can you can break the cycle of, of enabling them and fueling their addiction, and then you can have more peace, and then you're, you're really in a better position to be able to even help them. Yeah, probably... Uh... Maybe a, just an example on the fly here is if my wife was to have an affair on me, my natural tendency, and I guess probably most people would be become to become bitter at her uh, and resentful towards her. And if I don't work through that myself, although I could give her an ultimatum that she did the action, she's the one in the wrong, but, and I hear that type of story a lot. But unless I work on me and my resentment and my bitterness, then I'm going to speak poorly of her to my kids, and that's going to make the situation even worse. I'm going to give them a bad my children a bad view of my wife that right. way. And so that's the reason I need to work on myself just as much as trying to get them help. Or you're going to use that as an excuse for you to you to go get get back at her. Oh yeah, get even and get even, and then you're just throwing gasoline on the fire at that point. So. It's just just a spiral yep. that, that no one can really get out of. Nope. So what are some ideas then? If if I'm looking to get help myself, where can I get that? So the obvious place is Celebrate Recovery. Um, I, I think there's, there's you know, you'll find people that are, are in that same situation that you're in. Um, you know, there's people that I know and that are in Celebrate Recovery that – you know, have loved ones that are suffering from addiction and, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's dragging them down, you know, and it's heavy on them. And so they come, they can come to celebrate recovery to get support in that. Um, you know, there's also, if, if, if your loved one is suffering from alcoholism or drug addiction, there's Al-Anon, which is alcohol, alcoholics. What's it called? What does it stand for? I don't for? know what the, the wait a minute. I really what does it stand for? I've been for? forever and I have no clue. I don't know. It's for loved ones of. I know Alcoholics Anonymous is for the the alcoholic and the the spouse. Al Anon. Al Anon. Anyway, it, it's for loved ones. I can't believe neither one of us know I that. Clue. Yeah. Well, I no, guess. But then also, I, you you <laughs> like my wife. You get hung up on those things and you can't move on. Anyway, you, you could Google it while we're going on. I know you could do that, but give our listeners some homework. That way, they can figure it out. Um, and PALS is a new one that I found out here is local. The Addiction Prevention Coalition puts on, uh, or they're a part of it anyways. And um, 
is parents of addicted loved ones. And so that's if your child is struggling with something. And all of those are great. You know, you mentioned Celebrate Recovery being one of those resources. The cool thing I've seen, because I've been to a lot of groups, because there, there just, there's just a whole lot of those groups. Um, and as I've been to different ones, not all of them may have, you know, um, spouses of people who struggle with addiction or whatever. But you will see maybe people who struggle with their addiction, and you can see them in recovery, and they are very wise to tell you things that, they had been through and you can even learn from them inside those groups. They may have a mixed issues group that you go into. Yeah. And so you can see the other side, the, you know, the many facets of addiction. Yeah. I mean, um, I know you've experienced this in the secular meetings that we used to go to. Um, you would see a family member come in, you know, and ask questions. Uh, there's, there's plenty of meetings that are open. They're open to anybody. You don't have to be struggling with that addiction to attend the meeting. I mean, I've I've had meetings where nursing students had, were, you know, assigned to come and sit in on a meeting so they could better understand addiction. So, so yeah, those are all good things. All right, so the third point that we've got here uh, to help encourage someone in addiction is to simply create a substance-free environment. All right. I, I mean, I know that sounds like, you know, like obvious to, to – to say but you'd be surprised how many people are living in a situation where they're not obviously this is for somebody who's struggling with drugs and alcohol substance abuse but they're living in a situation where they don't really have control of whether there's substances in the house and you know one of their family members you know might drink or or do whatever and that's a struggle for them you know to be in an environment where they can't control that and that is that is their temptation that they're trying they're trying to stay sober, and you know if they're an alcoholic, you know there's beer in the fridge right there, and you know you're you're just they're they're not set up for success at right. that point. Well, here's a not so obvious um, example of what you're talking about is um, I've mentioned several times about me struggling with just food. I don't know if you could call it food addiction or not, but I know I eat when I don't want to eat, so to me that kind of makes it an addiction. But um, we did a Celebrate Recovery retreat with some of our leaders and, well, just some of our members last year. And while we were there, people, like we were talking about earlier, from all different types of struggles were there. And part of what we did, we asked, uh, we provided the food while we were there, but everyone else brought in their snacks. That's what we asked them to bring was just bring snacks so you could eat in between meals because we were staying overnight at this lodge. And I noticed that, well, first of all, people brought different types of snacks. My type of a snack is like sweets and candies and all that. Nutty buddies. Uh, other people's yeah. was like nuts and fruit and stuff. <laughs> but then I got to talking to more people about it, and I was like, how do y'all keep from eating these things? Because when they're there, like you, I think you was eating like three or four. I was tearing them <laughs> nutty buddies up. <laughs> you sure was. But I was like, how do people keep from eating these? Because that's like my downfall. I can oh, eat yeah. great all day long until that evening. They was like, we just don't keep it in the house. Oh, uh, yeah. And I was like, huh. ah, how about that? And so now when I'm trying to work through weight and trying to, to lose some weight, well, just remove the snack cakes out of the house. Yeah. So, so, like, if your wife is working on a diet and you like to eat a snacks, maybe you don't have the same struggles, remove the temptation yeah. for her. Get it out of the house. Captain Obvious, huh? Yeah, I mean, it does sound, it's very simple, but yet we, you know, 
I don't see it as a problem. Just like you talk about the family member with the drinking. Yeah. Um, for some people, it's not a problem for them to drink. Right. But for me, it's a major yeah. problem. And it's, it's a problem for them too when I start drinking their bottle. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I've I've even known people that you know struggle with pornography or whatever that they just don't have a computer anymore. You know, they give that up and just to not have be put in that situation where they're going to be tempted. Mm-hmm. So whatever that looks like, creating a substance-free environment will drastically improve their odds of, of staying sober or free. Right. Okay, so after you've built some trust and you've um, kind of maybe looked for some stuff yourself, maybe you've set some boundaries and, and moved some stuff out of the house to create a substance-free environment, it's also probably a good idea to suggest you know that person that you're talking to uh, to join in some sort of support group, right? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I put the word suggest in there, you know. Um, it's a little softer of a way to, you know, you don't want to, if you make somebody go to meetings, you know, especially if they're living in your house, if you say you got to go to these meetings, um, you know, you, you you go there with a different with a different mentality than if you feel like you made the decision on your own. So, however, there are times that's good. I was no, mandated by the I courts mean, to go. I was, I was know. mandated by the courts to go too. And, and I'm glad I was with the suggestions, a little easier, softer and received a little bit. Right. Because most people who are in any kind of an active addiction, you know, if, if they recognize they have a problem, well then you trying to suggest that they need help. You know, a lot of times it's not received well. So, um, suggesting that they go to a meeting and even be willing to go with them, even if you don't struggle with that, you know, it's, uh, um, you know, I think, I think in doing that, you're helping build trust and you're helping show that, Hey, I'm, I'm willing to do whatever, whatever you need, you know, for you to get help. I'm, I'm here. But I do believe there's healthy boundaries in that. Sure. With going, of course, going to the first meeting or two yeah. would be great uh, yeah. to help remove some anxiety. But then you have to give them the opportunity to to have their own recovery. Right. Sometimes people just want to keep going with their loved ones no. to to, yeah. to encourage, but that really prevents them from sharing, you know, yeah. openly because maybe you'll hear the truth and they're trying to. They don't want you to hear that. Because it may make it worse, or they, or they want to, sh- they get to a point where they want to start sharing, but they want to share because you're there. Yeah, that's you what know? I mean by that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think, I think initially getting them started, I think it's, I think it's a good idea, but eventually they're going to have to do the work themselves. All right, so then we're going on to second from the last here, which would be connect them with someone in recovery, and I believe that may be the better alternative than going with them. Yeah, I'm not saying that one's you know, worse than the other, but the better would be trying to say, look, I know this guy, I know this woman who struggled with what you've struggled with and and why don't you just talk to them? Yeah. Uh, I know you and I get calls all the time, you know, Hey, can you, can you talk to my son, Johnny or whatever he's struggling with whatever. And most of the time they never call, but sometimes they do. And I think some of the coolest, you know, most blessed times of my life since I've been in recovery is when you're talking to somebody. It was a few months back. I I went and saw a guy in the hospital who was suffering from drugs and alcohol. And 
he was ready to change. And he had never been in any, in any kind of recovery or anything. And one of his family members reached out to me and said, hey, would you come talk to him? And I said, yeah, if he'll call me and, and set it up. And he did. And he said, I would love for you to come talk to me. And when I started sharing with him my story, you could see his eyes lighting up. Like, there's somebody else like me. Right. You know, you're like, wait, I thought it was just me. Mm-hmm. And seeing that light bulb go off in their head of... There's somebody like me who was just as bad as I am and they're experiencing freedom from it. You can see the hope start to grow in them. And I think that works way more than somebody who is preaching down to them, who is telling them what they need to do and and how they're wrong. And even, even in a loving, you know, a loving family member who's meaning well, if they haven't walked in the shoes of that particular addiction, a lot of times that person is just not going to listen to them. Yeah, it could actually be the exact same advice I would give them. Right, but, I but, know. Yeah. <laughs> it right. could be exactly the same thing, but because they don't have a story that they can relate to, uh, it's just hard to identify with yeah. that person. You don't really know what, what I've done. You don't know what I'm feeling. You don't know what it's like. And so, like you said, walking a mile in my shoes means a lot. Um, but one thing I think is important here that – um, just to say, because as you're dealing with those people, um, who may be struggling with addiction, yes, it's great to try to hook them into someone else who maybe have those same struggles. Let me tell you, I know this is not the thing to avoid that we did last week, but this is something that I heard you say on the other side of, yes, the best way to do this would be say, I've got someone who struggles with addiction. I want them to talk to Jason. I would tell them, here's Jason's number, call Jason. But that's not usually the way that someone calls me wanting help. The way it usually works is, hey, will you help my son? Could you call him and, and tell him that he needs to get better or something like yeah, that? Yeah. So let me explain how this sounds like and why it's not good for at least me to do it this way. Because if I was to follow through with the wishes of just say a parent who's got a kid who struggles with addiction, we'll just say drug addiction. All right, so you give me little Johnny's number, and I call little Johnny and say, hey, little Johnny, your mom says you're a dope pad, and I just <laughs> want to tell you that there's hope for you. Yeah. And, um, you know, let God me, get you, in this, <laughs> let me yeah. get you in this rehab, and everything's going to be better. There's no way to start that conversation no. that doesn't for them not to become defensive. Right. But if they call me and say, hey, my mom gave me your number, and, man, I, I don't know what else to do. Yeah. Man, that is so much more for them yep. to receive what I'm fixing to say to them. And that's not just my words. That's with anybody in recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's the difference from being offensive and defensive. And, you know, so many people, is, they've had to protect themselves from, you know, everybody trying to attack them, tell them what they need to do. It's been great advice that's been given to them probably – but it's just hard to get past that wall. But when they call you, man, they let the wall down so you can get in it. Yeah, the the wall's already down before you even start the conversation. Mm-hmm. And they're by calling you, they're admitting there's something wrong. And there's some willingness. It shows right. them. I mean, you yeah. as a loved one should be able to go, Wow, he's he's really he's he's making the step forward. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's not you doing the work anymore because you can't you can't keep them sober. No. You may help get them sober, but they've got to do the work. Yeah, they have to do the work. So what's our last one? The last one is be patient. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
Yeah, that that's in the Bible. Yeah. Be, what is it? Be still and wait. No, I'm God. I'm yeah. paraphrasing. It's that. one of the fruits of the Spirit, too. Yeah, but that should be removed from the Bible. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it should. I hate that. Pray verse, for patience. Man. Pray for yeah. patience. See yeah. what happens. Yeah, I, man, I just, I don't know. I, you know. I'm sarcastically saying that. I don't think anything should be removed. But, um, man, it's so hard to be patient because you see a problem. You you even know the answer to it. And you, you want to see them get better. But they don't. I mean, look for someone with food addiction. And it, you know, it's, it gets a little bad. You see them sort of get a little out of weight. And then you go, if you go too much further here, you, you can't even get a handle on this thing. You're going to be hard to even get to the gym anymore. And they, and they keep going down that road. And you're like, man, you got high cholesterol, high blood pressure. When are you going to learn a lesson? And, you know, it may be a heart attack before they get there. Right. I don't know. But yeah. you've just got to be patient and love them where they're at. Yeah. Because, uh, the old saying is it takes what it takes, you mm-hmm. know, um, why does, you know, one person stop, you know, b- before the addiction leads them to death and the other person doesn't, that's a question that, you know, it's hard to answer. And, and whenever I've had, uh, friends who've overdosed and died from drug overdoses or whatever in the past, I've always wondered, you know, why, why did I get a chance at this and they didn't? Um, and I don't know that, I don't know the answer to that question, but what I do know is, you know, people have different tolerances for pain and the consequences that come from addiction. And, you know, I'm, I'm thankful and I'm grateful today that there was a point that I was just, I couldn't, I couldn't experience any more pain. I was tired of the pain and it motivated me to want to change. And so I think that's different for everybody. And some people, it doesn't take much consequences before they're willing to change. But some people, you just you just don't, there's no way to predict any kind of outcome as far as, well, I think, I think they're finally going to get it now. Because you just don't know. Yeah, I mean, and if, if you take some of the other tips that we talked about, like you go ahead and get started in meetings if your spouse is struggling – well, you keep going. That doesn't mean that he's going, he or she's just going to jump in and start going to meetings because you are. But you keep going. Be patient in the process. You learn some recovery tools about how to deal with their behavior uh, to keep you healthy. And then hopefully, from what I've seen in the past, not always, but they're going to see a change in you and then eventually want to do something different themselves. And, and I'm going to tack on another one. On the end, too, is is have this hope. Is, this is bonus, huh? This is bonus material yeah. right here. Is is always have hope for the person, because as as you and I are living testimonies to to this. If if we can get sober, and and have sobriety and have freedom from you know our particular addiction, then anybody can. Well, our words have power. And if we lose hope and just say you're a lost cause, you're not going to work no more because we're hurt and we're sick of going through the same cycle of their struggles, they're going to begin to believe it. But if you keep speaking hope and, and positive things in their life and even giving them scripture, I've seen I've seen wives literally give on index, index cards in their husband's cars, you know, mm-hmm. so they're seeing scripture every day, um, you know, there's power in that. Oh, yeah. And, you know, people do change. People do recover from the worst of addictions of, of all kinds. And, you know, change is possible. 
Um, it just, it just, it looks different for everybody. Next month will be 16 years I've been sober. And now as I go around and share my testimony at different places, people don't even see me as that person. Right. Like even the drug industry has changed. Like, oh yeah. The, like the pills I was really hooked on are not even really made anymore. Right. Um, so I look and go, wow, I'm nowhere close to that person I used to be. People do change. People don't know me as a drug addict. The only way people know me as a drug addict now is if I tell you that that's what I used to do. Right. And so I guess, you know, uh, there there should be hope in that. And, you know, even if, if you're that person right now that goes, I just don't know if my husband or my wife can change. You know, we've been down this so long I've had the opportunity to sit down with my parents a lot lately because we've been at the hospital with different family members. And so sitting in the waiting rooms, you have a lot of conversations. And I guess it was probably a decade and a half I was in active addiction. And you, if you would have talked to my parents then, they probably wouldn't have had hope. You know, they lost that hope. Yeah. But today they would certainly tell you, man, anybody can change. Oh, yeah. Well, I think that brings us to the end of another one. Yeah, um, that's it. Last week was the tips to avoid when you're yeah. talking to someone struggling. Uh, these were the ones to encourage someone when they're struggling. And I think you can take both of those and apply them into your situation. And hopefully there'll be a benefit to you as well as that person you're talking to. All right. Well, that is another one in the books. Next week we'll see all you guys. Or actually, I guess we'll see you, but we will talk. And um, – They'll hear us, right? Yep. So we'll be here. That's another one of the books. I'm Roger. I'm Jason. We're out of here. Thanks for listening to Soberholic with Roger and Jason. If you like the show and want to know more, check out soberholicpodcast.com. Please remember to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week, Soberholics. <laughs>